Afternoon, listeners. Welcome back to another Racing Matters podcast. As ever, I'm joined by Becky Mortel, the youth of today. Becky, um, how's, how's your week been so far? What's going on? Yeah, it's been good. Actually, I lie slightly. I am sitting here with a hot water bottle around my neck because I went to my second ever personal training session on Tuesday and I haven't been able to move my neck since. What, what, um, what, what did they have you doing? This is hilarious. I wish you told me this before we started. We do a whole podcast on this alone. <laughs> it was, um, yeah, like Ironman sort of stuff, you know. It's uh, a lot of machines which I haven't used before. Lots of, uh, do you know what, I don't even know the terminology of, um, of it, but um, press-ups, bench presses. Oh yeah, now, now I'm in a bit of a state, to be honest with you. This is excellent. I'm going <laughs> to definitely get into this a bit later I think on. The fitness train isn't for me. No, and um, <laughs> it hasn't been for me lately either, but we're going to sort that out. Um, Outside of your gym exploits, um, you do have an interest in racing. And Becky, I know that you and I both share a bit of a, an interest in um, racing in other countries and how it differs from our own. I'm really happy to be joined by presenter, broadcaster, all-round superstar, Ali Vance, who hopefully is going to help fill in um, some of the blanks on international racing. Afternoon, Ali. How's it going? Hi guys, yeah, thanks for having me on. Uh, nice to meet you, Becky, and sorry to hear about your neck. It's, it's a bit ironic that you're representing the youth of today or whatever Ollie said, and you're the one that's um, got the, 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 um, the hot pad on your neck. But yeah. nothing, like, nothing like hurting your neck from doing press-ups as well. It's just yeah. <laughs> pathetic. Come on, Becky. <laughs> um, rather than kind of wallow in pity, Becky, um, I think you're going to get into this one today because, as I said, we both love uh, overseas racing. We both watch quite a lot of that when we can, but some of it does come across as a bit mysterious. Um, Ali, before we get into the kind of nuts and bolts, and you, you've been all over the place, and I think if, if anyone were to Google you or your popular CNN show, Winning Post and Elegant Life, um, they will see that you've been to Japan South Korea, obviously, uh, festivals over here, Ascot, um, we've got Uruguay, Chile, uh, Australia. I mean, you've been all over the shop. But before we get into those specifics of that, how did you get into racing and what are your kind of early memories of, of racing? Um, so um, I'm currently at my parents' house in, in Wales. We're in lockdown here, actually, um, but brought up in the countryside and pretty close to Cheltenham, very close to Chepstow um, and always been, um, I've been brought up riding horses and been lucky to sort of do more of the equestrian side of it. So lots of eventing, show jumping when I was younger. So um, racing's always been on my radar, always enjoyed watching it. I used to go to Cheltenham every year and, and probably preferred the, the national hunt then, or I guess you know, you're more immersed in National Hunt around here. Um, and then um, I did loads of sports growing up and ended up doing modern pentathlon um, quite seriously. I did it full time for a bit after leaving university and then um, thought, right now, what should I do? I want to be a, a sports journalist, um, love horses um, and racing, had lots of opportunities at the time and sort of found myself uh, really kind of trying to focus on, on the racing side of things and became um, racing reporter for for BBC Wales, which was great. Every Saturday I'd go to, to sort of whatever jumps meeting was on um, throughout the winter whilst you know, there was the football and the rugby as well. 
Um, and it's just kind of grown from there. And it's, it's a brilliant industry to be in, both the, you know, the, the racing side and the equestrian side. Um, you know, I love the horses, the, you know, the raw sport of it and these beautiful, majestic animals. So um, I have been incredibly lucky to be, to be working in it for quite a few years now. That's great. And um, how did uh, CNN come about? I mean, for, for people that aren't familiar, the show is very interesting. Uh, it's a 20 odd, just over 20 minute segment that if you ever watch CNN, if you're in a hotel room somewhere around the world and you flick on CNN, quite often you'll, you'll see Ali on screen doing winning post. How did that show itself come about? Because um, a lot of our racing listeners may not be familiar with it unless they watch the news channel or have searched for you on youtube so yeah winning post has sort of changed over the years francesca kamani who presents on itv um and in australia she presented it for three or four years when it was a sort of 15 minute program and lots of news slots with on cnn international um i took over in at the beginning of um 2016 when it became a, a half hour monthly show and um although it is you know it's very much a horse racing program the focus is on lifestyle travel everything that goes around you know storytelling characters around racing um to appeal to a cnn audience which um as you say can often be travelers people who um, usually fairly sort of high-end um, audience being sort of businessmen, um, hotel rooms, uh, uh, airports, people seem to, to watch CNN. So it's a, it's a very um, niche um, audience and the programme reflects that. It's not, it's not um, as I said, it's, it's trying to really kind of uh, unravel the characters behind the sports, find some interesting stories, a bit of glamour, a bit of lifestyle um, and lots and lots of travel, which has been great. Yeah. And do you prefer to do the sort of behind the scenes and the travel side um, of filming or do you prefer sort of presenting or reporting from the race course? Um, a bit of both, I think, like everyone wants to do everything. Um, I have worked for uh, At The Races, which is now Sky Sports Racing, which is very much live on course. Um, reacting to the those races which is great but you know to be perfectly honest you know you, i might not be up i was probably sent down to Foslas and chepstow and um on wet and windy days which i loved but you know the opportunity to go to these mega meetings like the breeders cup as you said you mentioned a few kentucky derby royal ascot arc de triomphe um japan hong kong to go to those meetings um with cnn has been such an amazing opportunity so um i enjoy I, I enjoy trying to sort of um, find characters and try and unravel, demystify the sport. And I know people say that a lot, but just to try and find um, something interesting about um, some of the runners or the race course or a reason to want to watch the race. Not necessarily saying, you know, this horse is the fastest, it might win and it might win its 10th race in a row. That's why I should watch it. It's more, you know, the guy looking after well we went to film with arrogate before his breeders cup classic in del mar um and we discovered that he hasn't actually got any front teeth because when he was um a yearling i think he or a two-year-old he he jumped tried to jump out of his stable he, he fell and he smashed all his front teeth out and i never knew that about yeah. it's such a famous horse um and we you know, if someone then watches cnn winning posts and says oh yeah do you see the horse with no teeth they might not remember the fact that it's Arrogate, who happened to be one of the best horses in the world at the time. Um, so it's just in trying to just get some, get new audiences hooked on the sport that we love. 
Yeah, and I, I love that. I love the sort of behind the scenes element to um, to racing. Um, and yeah, I really enjoy it. I liked watching the Japan one that you did last year. I think that was that was great. Um, what would you say has been the highlight of your career so far in terms of destination? What where's the best place that you've been? <laughs> Um, I'm so lucky. I mean, South America is wonderful. They're so friendly. They have such a thriving horse racing industry out there. Um, and it's, it's so different to being over here. Australia would probably be the most similar. And I guess one highlight was seeing Winks win the QE2 stakes, her final race. And I mean, the whole crowd were in floods of tears. It was, it was an amazingly emotional day, but you know, then you look closer to home and you've got Royal Ascot and, Again, been lucky enough to work and see Frankel running um, was really special. Um, it's really hard to put my finger on it, being highlight. But yeah, I suppose some of those just those those mega moments that you pinch yourself and go, God, you know, I'm here right at the, the forefront and seeing seeing Arrogate win the Dubai World Cup when he was five or six lengths behind um, coming out of the stalls. That was pretty special. That's an amazing um, video to watch. But anyway, if, if, if anyone's yeah, so listening and hasn't hasn't seen that just go to youtube and type in arrogant dubai world cup because the the commentator that and something that's not often mentioned in racing actually i think no no uh, disrespect to british commentators but the american commentators or race callers and australians do have a certain way of doing it and and that arrogant race is fantastic to watch. So just as an aside, go and, go and check that yeah, out. Yeah, Terry well. Spargo, he's the commentator. He's no longer at um, Dubai anymore, sadly. Um, I mean, he's retired. But he, yeah, his, his commentaries would, yeah, are, are legendary. Here and comes the California the big Chrome a. One. Yeah, here comes the big A and, and yeah. California <laughs> Chrome as well. That was another great line he came out with as well, crossing the finish line. Um, talking so, of yeah. um, just differences there, like so difference between commentators and all the rest of it. Um, we were chatting the other day, actually, about your... Uh, visits to South America I think we were talking about Uruguay and just some of the the differences maybe that people will would see on track are fairly obvious but you you mentioned to me some very interesting off track especially you know around training differences between yeah. you know South America or, or or Uruguay in that case and here could you just talk us through some of the things you might have seen that people might kind of raise an eyebrow at well, you mentioned the commentary, um, the commentators in South America. It's just like the football commentary, a million miles an hour. <laughs> you have no idea what they're saying. It's a complete art. So um, incredible. So that's one thing. Um, but yeah, South America is, as I said, it's got such a thriving um, horse racing industry. Brazil, Argentina, uh, Ch Chile, they're probably leading the way. And then you've got the likes of Uruguay, um, Peru. And they have this wonderful race in uh, March called the uh, Gran Premio Latino Americano, where, where each of the nations send two or three, they have to have qualify horses to a particular country and it moves around each year to race. And it's a bit like the clash, clash of nations, sort of champions league of, um, of racing. It's a brilliant atmosphere. Um, but yes, I've, I have been to Uruguay, Chile and Argentina to, to take in the racing there. Um, and a race meeting, well, first, first of all, a race meeting is a, a marathon, 24 races. Wow. Starts at sort of 10, 10.30 in the morning, usually goes on till 11 o'clock at night. Um, it's, so it's pretty crazy. The feature races usually come around about sort of seven, eight o'clock in the evening. Um, so you, you rock up at the race course maybe after six or seven races, which, you know, in the UK would be a, a normal race race card. So uh, that took a bit of used getting used to. Um, 
got a really enthusiastic crowds. Um, the jockeys, when they're, the, the horses are walking around the parade ring, as normal as you'd see in every country, but the jockeys aren't given a leg up like you see in the UK. They all vault on. So they, oh. uh, they are taught how to vault on at jockey school. It's part of qualifying, I guess, to, to become a jockey. Um, and if anyone's ever attempted vaulting on, I mean, I have zero spring, but I could barely vault on my 12-2 ponies. So <laughs> a 1600 horse. I've actually tried before and I'm five foot two and I literally almost just fell flat on my face. So I think that's out of the question now. <laughs> I used to just like bash bellies and never get any further. Um, all the jockeys vault on, which is incredible. But um, the, the best thing or the most, the most different thing about racing in South America, the training, is that when you go down to the, the tracks in the morning, all the jockeys or 95% of the jockeys are riding bareback. They exercise all the horses without any saddles on, wow. which... I thought it was completely, I was like, why are they doing that? And it just tradition, they always have, all the horses are um, galloped flat out, you know, whatever, you know, work they're doing with no saddles and the, the jockeys with their legs dangling down. So um, every time I go, I, I always try and get to the racetracks in the morning to see that because it's just, it's so alien to us when we see, you know, um, the strings in Newmarket walking along with their, their perfect tack and them you know, all matching jackets for, for the different stables. Out there, it's completely chaos. Horses seem to run in all different directions. They might be training left-handed, they might be training right-handed, all at the same time. It's chaos and no one's, wearing, uh, no one's using saddles. Gosh. Wow, that's, um, that's pretty, pretty different. Um, yeah, it is a bit. You mentioned um, Japan earlier, and I think actually one of the really interesting uh, winning posts, uh, as Becky mentioned actually, was Japan. And um, of course, you did a lot of very cool stuff off track there. Again, anyone listening, I urge you just to type in winning post uh, Japan uh, into YouTube to have a look at what Ali got off to off track. But the crowd element there is just so bonkers. In fact, we, when you and I were in Cape Town earlier this year and you were talking at the Asian Racing Conference, I think one of the guys before or after you was doing something about Japanese racing and how the crowd rush in what i mean it's, it's it just looks yeah. completely bonkers i mean what what's your experience been like of actually being at a sort of a japanese race day as opposed to one of our big race days yeah that it, that's another mad moment and one of those i mean very different to winks or frankel but one of those moments where you think what it, what am i doing here um so i've been out to japan two or three times for the japan cup which is it's a big international meeting, um, takes place at the end of November. And the crowds, as you say, they are fanatical out there. They're mad for horse racing. Um, they love it. I mean, they get, well, they used to get 110,000 for the Japan Cup. Um, it colossal crowds, all in one massive, um, one massive grandstand, not kind of spread out in the middle of the course. So huge crowds. It's around about 80 or 90, I think, thousand now, which is still huge. Um, but space and getting the right spot, being on right by the rail for the finishing line, being able to get your, your autograph for the jockeys is, is essential for these fans. So they, um, they, they don't just queue up, you know, maybe an hour before the gates open. They sleep overnight outside the race course so that when the gates open at 8 a.m. in the morning, racing, um, by the way, starts at sort of one o'clock in the afternoon, but the gates open at 8 a.m. in the morning. They have this completely mad rush in. Um, it's called the morning run. And I thought it would be like a surge of people, perhaps, you know, if tube stations close a door or a gate, 
in rush hour when it reopens there's a sort of surge of people no no this is like a flat out hundred meter sprint the guys are limbering up stretching before the gates open <laughs> and they at, they go as fast as they can sprinting and actually on my instagram or you'll be able to google it and find um the, the video footage of it but they go flat out and because everyone is so polite in Japan, they rush, they get their spot, the perfect place in the grandstand, and their, you know, their seats, and they tape down a bit of newspaper, or they put their race card down, or maybe an umbrella or a coat. And because everyone is so polite, you know, it's their space, then they can go off and get coffee and breakfast, and, and no, one, no one touches their space. But um, it's incredible to see them all run in and, and literally sort of tape down and mark where they're going to be watching the racing in the afternoon. Just shows how how crazy keen they are out there. But the atmosphere, they do this chant before the big race goes off, you know, 100,000 people, not quite as sort of like the Iceland chant, but um, pretty similar. They do this mega chant and the gates open right in front of the stands. Um, so yeah, the, there's nothing quite like that, that, that atmosphere on, on um, Japan Cup Day. Yeah, they are literally super fans out there. I would love one day to go to the Japan Cup. Um, what would you say is your favourite international race day or festival to attend? Um, so hard again. <laughs> uh, okay, all right. I sort of top four or five. Prix de Liande at Chanty, which is the French Oaks. Chanty Racecourse, beautiful. It's right in front of the chateau. And Prix de Liande is all about. Um, so it's just super elegant, super chic, and it's actually probably uh, the Arc is a wonderful meeting, but it's it's a lot of Brits attend the Arc, and it's in October, so the weather might not be so good. Whereas the Prix de days in June, and it's all about, as I said, picnics and the, the French turn up with these most amazing picnics, and we're not just talking about sort of M&S sandwiches and raiding whatever Sainsbury's local on the way beautiful baguettes beautiful magnums of rosé champagne everyone flowers looking everyone dresses up so so well and so elegantly so I'd say Prix de Liande at Chanty is definitely one um, then you're looking at some unusual race meetings Saint Moritz racing on the snow out there that's got to be pretty high on people's bucket list um, just for the yeah, crazy experience of watching horses race on the snow. Um, and they do this event called the Skijoring where the, the racehorses, proper thoroughbreds, tow skiers um, around the track. So they're behind the horses. Um, Didn't you have the, a go at that? I think I've I, seen them. Yeah. <laughs> I did have a go, but they wouldn't let, they wouldn't let, let me do it with a horse because, or understandably, I don't think my skiing is quite up to scratch. So um, I did it behind a snowmobile and I hadn't really skied for a couple of years, maybe three or four years. And I'm not a mega skier, but sort of can get down and run. Um, and he just tore out of the, of the, the stalls. Start, I had to go through the starting gates. Um, and like 30 miles an hour, Zoe was being pulled by racehorse, absolutely terrified. But like when you're going down a ski run and you know you're going too fast, you just kind of think, I mustn't move, I mustn't do anything, because if I do something, I don't want to be falling at this speed. Um, yes, yeah, so that was pretty crazy. Um, and sorry, this is a really long answer. Royal Ascot, wonderful, so different, so unique, nothing quite like it anywhere else in the world. Um, so British, so traditional, love that. And then finally, another obscure one is uh, Leytown races in Ireland on the beach, uh, oh, where, yeah, the tide, so yeah. Yeah, where the tide is, comes in rapidly so they sort of have to judge they judge the start time. All, all the races are 
you, you wouldn't know what time they're going to start because they have to look at the tide tables and the race course is rapidly put up when the tide goes out um, and then they sort of judge the last few races but the, the tide is sort of lapping at the um, in on one of the rails so yeah that's pretty cool and you know Ireland just you know know how to do a, do a good race meeting and it's the great atmosphere and um, that's definitely one as well for the bucket list so yeah loads I'm so sorry I didn't narrow it down at all there. <laughs> no they um, they all sound pretty cool and um, <clears throat> one of the most amazing things about racing actually I mean you, you lots of sports you can go all over the world and watch you know different competitions or different tournaments but some of these signature events sort of country by country i mean they really are extremely different and uh, the unique nature of each one i think for any sports fan not just a racing fan um, makes for some really uh, unique bucket list items now just getting away from uh, courses at international racing but i guess this may well be a bucket list item for many racing fans and amateurs um we are big um espouses of uh, of women in sport at the racing league and racing is probably uh the sport that does the best in my opinion on um, gender equality probably doesn't shout about it enough um compared to other sports trying to shout about it but racing does a pretty good job of this and uh it's something that we kind of like to focus on but uh, in 2017 you rode in the magnolia cup the ladies charity race uh, during the Goodwood Festival, or the glorious Goodwood Festival, rather, um, which is a nice, a nice event, and it brings people from different um, backgrounds, whether it be equestrian or from the world of celebrity or sport, etc., together to participate in a race. But obviously, there has to be training involved. Now, notwithstanding Becky's press-up issues, um, how how was training for that, and what was it like competing in the event, and and did you feel that it was sort of a good thing for, 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 to show off racing as a sport uh, for women or um, was it the charity angle that drew you in the most? Um, well, I'll touch on the training first. I think being a jockey is the muscles that you use are so specific. And so um, looking back, I mean, I, I like to think I keep myself reasonably fit. I like running lots, um, cycling. So I kind of came into it thinking, yeah, I'm fit enough. But the, the specific muscles, particularly your quads, being able to squat, being able to wall sit for you know, five minutes straight is something that um, you, know, you don't necessarily do when you go to the gym. Um, or yeah, the personal trainer is not going to make you, hopefully, <laughs> sit on the wall for five <laughs> minutes. Um, so I found the training very different. And also um, riding a racehorse is just so different to what I would say, like normal riding, riding an equestrian horse or ride, you know, with longer stirrups. You are just so much, uh, the word says it, you're a jockey, you're, you're guiding these racehorses. You're just trying to sort of judge a bit of pace, but basically the racehorse is doing all the work. You don't, you don't wrap your legs around and sort of say, right, you know, we're going this way and that way and this is how I want you to be so that was quite different um I went down to Jamie Osborne's in Lambourne not enough so I I didn't do probably enough training but I got through it um and the experience was yeah once in a lifetime and I was incredibly lucky to do it would I do it again um probably not um, not because I didn't enjoy the race the race was wonderful but I just found that when I was riding out you are basically risking life or limb every time you go and ride out on these racehorses and maybe Jamie put me on difficult two-year-olds 
Um, and I very luckily didn't fall off, but I felt like I was going to fall off or, or get bucked off or, um, you know, one of these skitty two-year-olds jink on the road or whatever it is. Um, it, it was, yeah, it was a interesting sort of every morning I sort of thought, all right, here we go. Let's hope we survive this one. Um, it is tough. And we, we, we move on to the, the debate about women in being jockeys. Um, it's a tough, tough, tough job. You know, you're getting up at 3.34, every morning, going to ride out, whatever weather, rain, snow, you're riding out. You're often riding horses, like I said, two-year-olds that you just never know what they're going to do. They just can be prats and sort of decide to whip round. However good a rider you are, you just might not be prepared. The injury risk is high. Then you've got to try and you know, get a trainer that's going to put you on good horses. Um, I think it is really, really, really tough. Um, so it's, um, it's not an easy, an easy sort of um, job to get into. And I think racing, as you say, do do a very good job at championing the fact that it's equal opportunities and men do go up against women. But I think that more can be done. You look at, let's say, horsey girls growing up, there are far more horsey girls. You go to any riding school, there are more girls than boys. So why are there then suddenly, you know, more male jockeys at the top end than female jockeys? So it's worth asking. Um, I did the Magnolia Cup, I think probably more for charity. And, and um, I think it's they raise a huge amount of money each year and great to, to be able to go racing. I don't think it necessarily does anything for female jockeys, but you know, what a great insight into what it takes to, to be a, to be a jockey. I was almost a top jockey, but I was nowhere near that. So to be a <laughs> jockey, um, so it was a great insight. So um, yeah, I think the likes of Holly Doyle this summer have been fabulous. And I see she's around about fourth favorite for the BBC sports personality of the year, which, you know, <laughs> Wouldn't that be amazing if um, we could get another jockey winning that? Yeah, that'd be great. Um, how do you think the UK compares to elsewhere when it comes to female jockeys? Do you think that the girls have been more successful in the UK compared to other countries you've visited? Um, no, I think that actually there are probably more female jockeys in America and Australia. Not a lot. Australia do seem to have quite a lot of female jockeys. Hardly any in South America um europe france you know they have this these they have an extra weight allowance for female jockeys which has helped um it's a, you know a, a sprinkling but what i think has been is really positive about female jockeys is that trainers are changing their mindsets you know the likes of holly Doyle, josephine gordon hayley turner they can do it they are good they're just as good as the boys so trainers are now thinking well actually you know doesn't really matter I'll put her on you know all my horses or they're using female jockeys a lot more so that's that's kind of how you've got to change the mindset and um you know as soon as you get good jockeys like the, the French girl who won her group one on arc day and she yeah. says she's, she's a mother yeah and was gonna have another child but now she thinks better put that one off um you know just like role models basically and you show girls that it can be done and you can be you know, riding top horses on the biggest days in in racing yeah and just touching on um female jockeys in australia i watched on the weekend ride like a girl about yeah. uh, michelle Payne. i really liked it and i hope that there's going to be more female jockeys um in the future that you know wanted to do it because maybe they watched that film and thought you know I can do it um yeah and, you know, and Melbourne Cup the biggest day is like you know, when when we get a, a female jockey win the Grand National which will happen 
Um, yeah, we will, and then that will just you know that will make as you as you say all those the girls that perhaps are going to the yards on when they're you know, under ten just think oh yeah actually I can be a jockey I want to be a jockey. Yeah, so, be great. Um, if you could take a characteristic um, of racing from another country and bring it to the UK, what what would that be? Um, I like the. Uh, showmanship and drama of American racing um I say that American and and Australia I mean Melbourne Cup is a really good example they have um obviously I've got a full race card I'm not sure they have any group races on Melbourne Cup day but they might do but then for 50 minutes before Melbourne Cup they have this sort of opening ceremony and every you know the horses are all away at the stables so they put up this big bandstand in this in the um, parade ring and they have pop stars they have musicians they have speeches and like the atmosphere builds and builds and builds and builds and builds ahead of the big race and it's and then suddenly the horses appear and they're round in the parade ring and it's just so exciting to watch and it's all focused on the biggest and the best race um and so i just it'd be great if um in terms of British racing, that we could just add a bit of music, a bit of flair, a bit of um, performance um, to some of our race meetings. And the reluctance in the has been because, you know, horses are animals and they probably wouldn't, you know, they, they might not like the music. You know, I'm not saying we should have fireworks because that would be ridiculous. <laughs> But, um, you know, I think we can afford to perhaps push the boundaries a little bit more. And interestingly, in lockdown, they've been playing a lot more. If you've been watching British racing, they've been playing a lot more. Um, music on the race courses without the crowds um, that you've been I think some of the trainers have been able to nominate winning songs like walk back songs for their horses that kind of thing I like just let's just make it like you know make it a bit more of a show for people like that yeah, would be like a party yes um, and what changes would you like to see in horse racing over say in the next five years um, I don't think the sport needs changing a huge amount I mean it is great what People, as I said, like making, pushing the boundaries a little bit, like I was saying about the music and making it a bit more of a, a performance, um, like what the Racing League are doing, innovation, you know, why not? We need to sort of keep changing things a little bit or not changing things, but pushing, as I said, pushing the boundaries. And it's been quite interesting, actually, during um, the coronavirus and racing has had to really adapt and adapt overnight. I mean, can you imagine having to change the fixture list that they've had the Derby running after Royal Ascot? And so many changes on course for jockeys, for trainers, for owners. Um, and I think the sport has adapted really well and been actually on the front foot and right there, probably you know, ahead of other sports about getting racing back, returning and getting crowds back to race courses. And I think it just shown actually, you know, racing can be flexible and can be adaptable. So I suppose it's, I hope that that mentality carries on. And, I'm, and I, British racing is wonderfully traditional and um, historic and no one wants to change that but um, there's always room for for a bit of a bit of innovation like the racing league yeah, yeah and it's it's fair to say that in in many other sports Britain or not just sports you know what in life in general uh, video games especially and film Britain has led the way on innovation without having to uh, compromise on its sort of traditional past and um, I think you know just mentioning the racing league that's what we're trying to do we're not trying to 
um, have any involvement with group racing or, or, or classics or anything like that. I think that's one of the things racing does unbelievably well. I mean, you know, better than, better than many other sports. You know, everyone checks into Ascot, Cheltenham, the Derby, uh, whether you're a race fan or not. So we're not going to mess around with that. But what we certainly can do is try and bring a different angle um, and show people something that we think is fun and entertaining. Um, we're almost uh, time up, actually. But I'm afraid, Ali, you've got to go through the... Uh, this or that gauntlet presented Ooh. by Rebecca, the youth of today. <laughs> so I'm going to let her run you through that before we sign off. Okay, well, yeah, that sounds, yeah. Go on then, Becky, far away. Okay, number one, Cheltenham or Ascot? Oh, <laughs> my heart says Cheltenham, but I love Ascot. Um, at Cheltenham on a sunny day, drinking champagne like it would be at Ascot, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Tea or coffee? uh coffee dogs or cats oh um yeah dogs definitely dogs cats love cats but they they could be so selfish whereas dogs yeah, they're are. just not loyal no no well they're in it for themselves they're loyal if they, they know they're gonna get fed every day whereas a dog yeah man's best friend and all that yeah, yeah. uh sunset or sunrise um sunrise definitely a morning person i think i give up about five o'clock in the afternoon <laughs> <laughs> city or countryside uh countryside hands down yeah um bar or pub oh uh both <laughs> i yeah. guess if i'm saying countryside then pub uh yeah yeah whatever's serving good good wine or good good drinks and that leads on to the next one red wine or white wine Oh, or champagne or gin and tonics, all of it. And I'm saying this because I'm, I'm pregnant, so I've been very much restricted. So, um, yeah, looking forward to, to all of the above. <laughs> uh, football or rugby? Rugby and Welsh. Yes. Only one sport. And final question, sprinters or stayers? Stayers, definitely. I mean, sprinters, great and you know wonderful race to watch and wonderful spectacle but who you know, the stories you get with the likes of Stradivarius being around for four years the likes of Yates and so many other good horses you see year after year so definitely stayers okay I agree with most of those um, oh, that's good Phew. yeah it, <laughs> I passed. rugby and football is always the one that divides me because I, I, I like them both equally and I've never been one to choose but yeah if you're from the valleys um, there's only yeah. one winner I think well, doesn't red wine and white wine is a bit like rugby football for you then, is it? You know, both. Um, well, actually, the truth is, and I have drunk a little bit of white wine, especially at racing in the summer, but I don't really like it. But it's quite what? awkward when someone buys a bottle, especially like, or if you're in a, in a box or in a stand somewhere at racing and someone sort of passes you one, you kind of like have to have it so. oh it's so tough, when it's so tough. <laughs> i know it's really oh, tough come on. oh you poor thing oh, i know God. but i tell you what that has reminded me you know although um <laughs> you're 100 right racing's been uh, it's great how racing's pivoted back and, and led the way but it really has been one of those summers that um having been working in in racing for three years now i've really really missed going to the track i mean i saw you at cheltenham but the time the last time i was on a flat racetrack before that was in Cape Town in February. Um, yep. I mean, that's, I mean, for, for someone who goes an awful lot, it, it's a big miss and there's a lot of fans struggling. And I know a lot of the national hunt fans now the season started, you know, properly are, are really missing out on this stuff. But, um, 
I mean, yeah, it's so frustrating. But I think that um, in terms of racing on the television, when you watch it, it is one sport where it doesn't look a huge, huge amount different um, when you're watching a race. Whereas when you watch Premier League football, it looks very different without the crowd. So that's great for racing. Um, but frustrating given race courses are such vast spaces, vast buildings that, you know, you can go to a, a small country pub and meet six of your friends. But yeah, you can't go to a, a huge, massive race course and watch watch a horse you know, 10 metres apart from other people. But anyway, um, fingers crossed we're back with a vengeance next year. Yeah, yeah. and um, I know we're all looking to get him back on track. Um, Ali, um, thanks very much for joining. Good luck with your uh, the rest of your pregnancy. Um, <laughs> Becky, good luck with the rest of your training. Um, I'm not I'd rather sure. be I'd rather be training than. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I can't wait to uh, come on uh, next week's podcast and see how you're getting on. Next week we're joined by um, not I think uh, yeah, confirmed. I uh, hopefully uh, Josh Appiaffi's joining us next week to talk all things diversity and how the sport can improve in in that area. Uh, in the meantime, have a good week, everyone, and uh, we'll catch you next time on Racing Matters. Cheers, guys. Thanks. Bye.